Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Tough Love Terry podcast. On today's episode, we are going to be talking about money, 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 and money mindset. Get excited. All right, before we get to talking about money, I think it's a little important to kind of break down what money blocks are and what blocks in general are. So let's go over that first. When I hear the word block, I immediately picture those little wooden blocks with the letters and numbers on them that children stack and then knock over with joyful glee. By picturing the blocks and obstacles in my life, whether real or perceived in my life as these little wooden structures stacked one on top of each other, I realized that it made them seem less daunting and fearful. But it was taking the responsibility to see the blocks in the first place that was the hard part. So this is what we're going to cover, is essentially what blocks are, how they get in our way, and then get into one of my main blocks, which is dealing with money. So from the time we're born, we're constantly taking in messages and information from the world around us, particularly from the humans we are in contact with at a young age, our caretakers. Whether spoken or not, the messages we receive form as beliefs in our subconscious and essentially create the motivation for our behaviors and actions. While this is an incredibly simplistic explanation of what happens, it's important to realize that pretty much everything we know is not what we know, but rather it's what others have taught us, or we've learned on our own from other people's learnings. Like one big-ass long game of ancestral telephone, it's just information that has been passed down either through evolution or by actual teaching that forms what, why, and how we think. Because of this, it's important to check in and see what beliefs, ideas, thoughts, learnings, etc. are getting in your way and why. I mean, shit, you might not be the only one who planted the idea in your brain that you should be afraid of new things, but you are the one continuing to believe it. It's really important to understand what part we play in continuing to have these beliefs. At one point or another, these beliefs did serve a survival function, or at least we perceive them to be as such. But at some point, some of these things stop helping us. So for this, I'm going to cover a few of the blocks that people really struggle with. But, uh, and this will occur over the next few uh, episodes, but for this one we're going to talk about real versus perceived blocks and then get into the money stuff. So, real blocks are essentially the things that provide obstacles no matter how much you love yourself, how much self-growth you do, how much individual insight you gain, these obstacles will always be present. Um, What I'm talking about here are blocks or obstacles that usually happen in real time. These are usually things that happen at the hands of an oppressor or as part of systemic oppression. So people living in marginalized bodies tend to experience more real blocks, which can then create more perceived blocks. And this can be incredibly frustrating. Even if you aren't in a marginalized body, you may find yourself up against certain things that prevent you from getting your dream job, having your expectations met, etc., Uh, But it's also important to note that while real blocks can make life incredibly frustrating, there are usually still options to get around, give in, or adapt to them. It just usually involves more than just you doing the work. 
So here's just a quick example for real blocks. As a fat woman, if I go to my doctor to treat a cold, she might look at me and say, well, you need to lose weight before I can truly diagnose you. That is a real block to me receiving proper medical care from that particular person in that particular moment. In that moment, I'm blocked from my expectation of receiving care. But I still have options. I can advocate harder for myself, I can write to the medical review board, or find another doctor altogether. So while there are options, the other person presented a real block in the moment and it stopped me momentarily. So let's talk about perceived blocks. These are the things that mostly get in our way more than the real ones. So perceived blocks are the blocks that individuals place on themselves utilizing past experiences, things they've learned, stories they've heard, and frequent ideations about future events. Uh, perceived blocks never happen in real time. These blocks are usually the what-if fear-based thoughts that prevent us from living the life that we want. Many of these perceived blocks also work kind of like an iceberg. We tell ourselves the story that's at the tip, <laughs> but the real reason is buried much deeper. Or alternatively, if you think of the little building blocks that I mentioned before, our conscious mind is dealing with the top block at the block at the top, but there are still three to four blocks underneath that one that also need to be uncovered. So for example, as I go to make an appointment with my doctor, I think, uh, why am I even bothering to make this appointment? My doctor's just going to fat shame me, so maybe I should lose weight before I go. This is a prime example of a perceived block. I am assuming something that hasn't happened yet based on stories I've heard from others as well as previous experiences I've had with other doctors. If I dig deeper into this block, it isn't just the fear of not receiving appropriate medical care, but it's also the fear of experiencing shame and humiliation. Two things which our evolutionary process has told us to avoid at all costs. The fact that we process shame in the same way that we process physical pain, yeah, our brain is telling us that this is not something you want to endure. <laughs> So hopefully that provides a little bit of clarity as the difference between the two. So going forward, the things that I want to speak on are going to be more about perceived blocks, the things that I have found gotten in my way when it comes to money. Now, why money? I think a lot of times people people have a mixed relationship when it comes to money. Uh, I find people are in one of two camps. Either they find that money is freedom and they have no problem amassing large quantities of abundance and um, they they're yeah their their belief systems around money are quite good and healthy. Um, for myself, on the other hand, it has been quite skewed throughout my whole life. And as I talk about this a little more, you're going to find out kind of why that is. So basically, we want to talk a little bit about why... First of all, let me start with where I started with money blocks. So about six months ago was when I finally realized I needed to make some changes in the way I managed money. Um, it's something that I was reading a book on the subconscious mind and there was a section in there that literally said like, here are some things you can say to improve <laughs> your mindset around money. And I literally couldn't even utter the words, I deserve money. Like I literally, it made me so cringy and I was like, okay, this is not okay to have like immediate anxiety just around like telling myself that I deserve money for something. 
Um, and as a result of that kind of fear that surrounded that, I was like, okay, I can't, obviously this is not a way for me to like amass abundance if I have this fear around saying that I deserve it. So I need to work through this. So the that was about six months ago. And to be honest, I wouldn't have even dreamed about having this conversation because my money blocks would be essentially equivalent to the Rocky Mountains. They were massive to get through. But I think it's important for you to understand that everybody is going on a journey. And I always said, it's a good thing I'm a successful business person because I wasn't very good at keeping money, which means I was able to at least keep money coming in to compensate for the fact that I was not hanging on to it. So the following skills I'm going to lay out are things that I've read, learned, and started to implement, um, which have helped me shift my own relationship with money. And I'm glad to say in the last six months, I would say my rocky mountain of blocks has been chipped down to more of a moss-covered hill. So while I'm not all the way there, I can tell you that the shift in my mindset and behaviors is significantly different than even a year ago. Significantly. Even Jill will say, like, even me writing this, she's like, you couldn't even talk about this shit, like, a month ago. <laughs> so, yeah, that's how tough it was. But it was something I knew that I needed to work through because many of us, regardless what the block is, um, I hear people all the time, like, oh, I just want to lose weight or I want to, you know, have a better body image or I want to have better relationships or whatever. But we always find ourselves back in this spiral. And the reason for that is because we don't actually face the things that we need to change in order to make it happen. As mentioned previously, when I talked about perceived blocks, is that what we think we want, for example, in this case, money, is not what I'm actually looking for, which is why I'm not able to receive money. Uh, and because I didn't stop to actually acknowledge what was I actually looking for, then I wasn't able to actually take action to try to find that thing because I was just trying to get more money and it wasn't about money at all. All right, so the first thing that I have to do and the first thing I'm going to encourage you to do to break through this money mindset block is to get clear on the outcome you want. This was really hard for me to do because I'm not, I always say I'm not monetarily driven or I'm not money driven. But then I wrote in my journal, I'm like, yeah, but are you motivated by bankruptcy? Which kind of shocked me that I wrote that. But it made me realize that, yeah, what does it look like for me to be confident with my money management? So imagine getting in your car ready to go and you pull up your GPS or the maps on your phone and you just simply say, okay, give me directions. What do you think is going to happen? Not much of anything. You can't really have a clear defined path or directions if you have no idea where the hell you're going in the first place. You can't even have a jumbly sort of path lined out because you literally could go anywhere and everywhere. This is how most of us do most things. We let life happen to us instead of taking control. So the first step with money blocks is deciding on what is the outcome you desire. What does success with money look like for you? Why do you want to shift your money mindset? How much money is that? What will you do with it, etc.? So here's the outcome that I wrote for myself. I'll know I, I have overcome my money blocks when I'm able to consistently keep a minimum of $10,000 in my checking account. 
I will be financially comfortable when I'm able to take three big trips a year that I don't have to work through to pay for them. And I won't have to use my credit card. Yay! I will be confident in my money mindset when I am able to recognize where, when, what, and why I am impulsively purchasing. And then make strategic steps to work through the thoughts needed to make a decision that will help me maintain my goal of $10,000 minimum in my checking account. I will be able to donate $1,000 a month to the Fort Gary Women's Resource Center. I will be putting $500 bi-weekly into my investments. I will be able to prioritize the following, my debt repayment first, paying Jill full-time hours to work for me, bills and groceries, investments, and then fund spending. Currently, you can imagine that it is the opposite. <laughs> I have this written out in my journal, but also it's above my computer where I do the majority of my online spending. Once you're able to recognize what you want money for, how much you need, how much you want to donate, and why, what are your monetary priorities, etc., then it can make you more emotionally invested in the goal of working through your financials. By making... Jill a priority, for example, paying her full-time hours to work for me, the next time I go to purchase something and I see this above my desk, I'll say, okay, that $200 you're spending on more clothes could potentially go to giving Jill more hours of work in the studio. What is more important to you? Uh, and it just stops me because now I'm emotionally invested in the outcome. So here are some great questions to ask to get yourself to just think about this. What do you want money for? What will it feel like when you overcome your money blocks? What will you be doing? How would you like to prioritize your spending? And what is the dollar amount you want to keep consistently in your bank account? Currently for me, the amount that makes me squidgy is $5,000. When I get below $5,000, I get really nervous, so I stop spending. A lot of us that struggle with money mindset or money blocks tend to work on the scarcity abundance uh, schedule, which means when we have no money, we don't spend it. When we have money, we spend it. So I'm learning that in times of abundance, it's important that I move money out of my main spending account into an account that I cannot touch um, and keep myself nervous at the $5,000 mark. But my hope is that over time that anything less than $10,000 will make me nervous. Um, so yeah, it's a work in progress. All right, so the next step you want to do after you fi figured out your destination is ask yourself, where does your money mindset begin? And this was huge for me in really uh, hammering home hammering home why I do the things that I do. Now, um, this was a bit of journaling and I call it quiet time adventure, which means you do have to set aside time to get quiet, listen to yourself and truly take the time to do this. If you actually want to get your money mindset under control, you must make time for it. When I was going through my body image blocks, I went through this process of asking where did my mindset begin around it, and the more I'm learning about self-growth, I'm realizing that it doesn't matter what we're blocked with, it is imperative to see where and from whom we learned our beliefs and behaviors. Between the ages of 0 to 14, our brain is a super sponge taking in information from those around us, and particularly those who are our caretakers more than anyone else. The people who cared for you throughout your life will have role modeled how to think, feel, and treat money, either for good or for bad. 
So the other week I went out to a cabin by myself and I went through a meditation through the 2B Magnetic School. Um, and it was a one that was specific for money blocks. And what really came to the forefront was my dad's relationship with money. And this is something I've been thinking about over the last month, but this meditation really brought it forward. Uh, growing up, I never realized we were poor and I always told my mom that. Um, but as I got older and I spoke to my mom, I realized that... We were barely holding things together and creditors had been calling and the farm was on the brink of bankruptcy for the whole time I lived there. So I knew it was imperative for me to break down kind of my parents' relationship to money if that's kind of what was going on behind the scenes while I was growing up. So my mom was a role model in a great way. She was a multifaceted entrepreneur that would use her talents and strengths to work multiple jobs doing things she loved to bring in extra money. Um, her main priority was taking care of us children, but ultimately um, she knew that because of my dad's spending habits that she would have to also be bringing money in. So she would squirrel away money to take care of us in the farm. We didn't see this again, but she told me about it, you know, within the last like 10 years. She was a seamstress, a caterer, worked at a liquor store, started her own fabric store, worked at the ski hill, managed another, uh, ran a market garden, worked for various organizations as a leader, worked for HR Block and other accounting firms, and literally anything and everything she could, all while taking care of the three of us and helping my dad with the farm. The thing was, she was the strategic one that understood that in order for us to keep the bank um, from calling us, that there would always have to be money squirreled away that my dad could not get his hands on. So uh, it was very strategic, the way that she cared for money. But we never saw it because if if we saw it, then that meant my dad would see it. And if my dad would see it, then that meant he would spend it. So ultimately, I never got to see that part role modeled until I was older. My dad, however... Uh, what a, was a wonderful father, but he was also a multifaceted entrepreneur, basically, as a carpenter, farmer, coach, and worked at the ski hill, same thing. But most of the things he did, he never, ever charged his worth. And I never recognized this. He, like me, always gave stuff away. Um, and looking back now, I see where that was rooted. His feelings about money were always vocalized because he never had any and it fed into what I see now were his insecurities. He talked about rich people as greedy assholes who were people he never wanted to be like but secretly did. I remember it was very clear that people who made a lot of money were bad and people who gave a lot were very good. And if you know me, I'm certain you can see this playing out in my life. Interestingly enough, when he moved to the city to take a job with the government and started making money, he turned into the very thing he despised. He kind of became an asshole. While he was a great father, I think he got lost when he started having the things he never thought he was allowed to have. And more importantly, I don't think he ever thought he deserved it. So he squandered it away and kind of pushed people away in the process, which is really unfortunate. Um up until the time that he passed away. So recognizing my own behaviors and the behaviors of my parents made me step back and say, oh, I recognize that my guilt around asking for my worth and taking what is owed to me was created way back in the day from my dad's belief. I didn't want to become the person that he didn't like. 
it literally breaks down in my subconscious, especially as a child, that if you become rich, your dad won't love you and you'll become an asshole. Yeesh. Ha! How is anybody supposed to have a healthy relationship with money if that is literally what your subconscious continually tells you? Interestingly enough, when I was working a job that I did start making a significant amount of money, I did become an asshole because I thought that's what you were supposed to do when you had money. It's so it's so wild to me that our brain is working behind the scenes making this stuff happen. And then interestingly enough, when I started working for myself and bringing in large quantities of money, I, I spent it because I didn't think I was worth it. Um, and, uh, and I felt guilty hanging on to it. So the fast, the, as fast as it came in, it would leave. And obviously that is not a sufficient way to get better at money management. So I think it's important to note, I'm not in the business of blaming parents because at the end of the day, the people that take care of us only do what they know how to do with the tools that they had and they had everything passed down to them. So it's important to not place blame. Now that I'm aware that this belief is lingering in my subconscious, it's no one's responsibility but mine. It's up to me to decide if the beliefs, if you make money, you'll be an asshole and be unloved and you should feel guilty taking money. So get rid of it as soon as you can are serving my purpose. And I'm telling you, they definitely are not serving my purpose. I will quickly end this one off with the understanding that you may do the same thing as your caretaker or you might actually do the complete opposite depending on how you processed what was being role modeled to you. I've seen that happen as well. But usually the motivation is the same. You want to be loved. You want to be accepted. You want to feel like you belong. Uh, and you want to avoid being being a certain way to ensure that that doesn't happen. Um, and it's the same thing with uh, and just feeling safe in general. So here are some questions you can ask to kind of get curious about your own caretakers when you were growing up. What were your caretakers' relationships to money and money mindset? Take some time to really think about specific scenarios that you can remember as a child, about your parents or caretakers talking about explicit, explicitly about money. And, um, and you might notice some little interesting tidbits. Uh, how was money perceived throughout your childhood? I know for me as a child, because I wasn't seeing what was going on behind the scenes in terms of uh, money, I knew that I, I, I used to love saving up for things. And then as I got older and started making adult money, I used to, that's when I would bleed money like crazy and I would be afraid to look at my bank accounts and all of that stuff um, because that's when my dad became an asshole basically so it all kind of coincided at the same time uh, if you could sum it all up into a few phrases what are the beliefs that were learned from the role modeling you saw all right, so the next one, get curious and not judgmental about your spending behaviors. This is integral. And if you've heard me talk about anything in the past, it is always about curiosity, no judgment. I'm a huge advocate for self-growth through curiosity. Judging your behavior and shaming yourself for your actions will never, ever, ever, ever result in long-term changes. 
Think about dieting and the fact that 98% of diets don't work because they're all shame-based and they lead to a spiral. Isn't that good? And money's the same thing. If you have money blocks, chances are you either spend like a mofo, binge your spending, saving behavior, or act like an ostrich and bury your head in the sand, ignoring the reality of all that is going on. You may even experience a combination of all of these. In either case, you need to know that A, you are not alone, and B, it is okay. Once we've broken down the main belief motivating our relationship with money, i.e. our parents it's or our caretakers, it's important that we start to get curious about why we do what we do. Money is just a thing. It's not good or bad, just like bodies. They just are. It does not actually give us more or less love. It does not make us more or less moral. It literally is just a thing. So before we focus on why we do what we do, we first need to acknowledge when we spend and what we spend on. A lot of times when it comes into changing behaviors or shifting mindset, a lot of people say, oh, I wish I thought like this. I wish I did this um, and all that good stuff. But the thing is, we have to focus on what you're actually doing right now so that we can shift that. You can't know where you're going until you know where you are which we get to towards the end. All right, so number one, when. When are you spending your money? I first started to pay attention to when I felt guilt or shame around my spending. Uh, This was huge, and you know what guilt and shame feels like around spending. You know. It, like, crawls up in your skin and makes you feel bad, and you try to hide stuff. So this happened when I tried to hide purchases from my husband, when I'd send off the shopping cart and feel a lump in my throat, when I bought a six-foot unicorn for my studio and it almost made me sick every time I looked at it. I eventually took it back because I just felt so guilty that it was such a binge purchase that I actually felt bad. But but because it's such a strong, visceral feeling, I'm able to recognize it and stop and say, okay, let's shift this guilt to curiosity and look at the context to try to avoid this again. And this is what has helped. So scientists have found that we process, like I mentioned earlier, we, we process shame the same as physical pain. So it's really easy to feel these experiences. And this allows you to kickstart your rational thinking. But you do have to pay attention to what that feeling feels like for you. So here's what the, some of the contexts were for me. Most of the contexts, to be honest. This is when I spent, felt that I spent the most. Um, if I'd been spending time in photography groups and seeing what other people were purchasing to get so many likes and comments, people uh, having really great photos saying they had really good sales. Basically, I thought I wasn't enough as I was with the stuff that I had and I needed something else. So I would go buy the things that I thought I needed, which I didn't. Um, another experience is I felt that I wasn't doing enough or giving enough to my clients. Maybe I didn't, you know, I had a, a slump in my client's booking or whatever. So I thought I needed more stuff to get them in the door as opposed to honing my marketing strategy or paying for Facebook ads. I thought maybe if I have a fancy new couch, that'll get them in the door. Um, and you know what? That doesn't work. Uh, and I didn't think... I was enough. I didn't think that people would want what I had to offer unless I had fancy things for them to play on. And that's not the case. Uh, I had another time is when I had money in my bank account, but having that money made me feel uncomfortable. 
based on my belief that people with money are bad meant I had to get rid of it or else I wouldn't get love. And then this one is for the ladies. Once a month during ovulation, oh, I shouldn't say for the ladies, I should say uh, for those of us with a monthly cycle, once a month during ovulation, I would binge shop and literally have no idea what I bought online. When hormones shift at certain times during your period, you are going to feel like you need stuff to attract a mate um, or because you feel less than. So you're more likely to binge shop and this has been proven. So chart it, track it, check and see what time of the month it is for you so you can make strategies to prevent that. So for one month, just pay attention to when you spend and acknowledge the context surrounding the spending. How did you feel? Da, 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 da. You will start to see trends starting to appear. Once you know when you spend, you can start to build those strategies um, to get your mindset under control. So for example, I had my husband reroute certain websites to my bank account. So it would stop the default mode of purchasing because if I could spend $200 on clothes, then I could put $200 towards a credit card and I would feel bad. So I would do it. I would lose my credit cards when I could sense lady time was a coming. I would put someone else in control of my travel arrangements so I didn't just go all willy-nilly. I had to put something in place. So once you know when you're spending, it's now important to look at what are you buying. So I started to get curious about what I was buying because, again, I noticed trends. One of my strengths that I have is noticing trends. So uh, for me, I was able to notice that, hey, you know what? Most of the money I spend is on certain items. Uh, What does that mean? So for me, I found the majority of my purchases fell into three main categories. Number one uh, was clothes, so things that are pretty. Uh, The next thing was stuff, like clothes, furniture, design shit for the studio. And then the third was buying food for people. So after some journaling around this, I realized that I purchased clothes out of a scarcity mindset. As a child, I never had really cool clothes because I was a plus-size kid. I also lived on a farm. We had one clothing store. I never had access to the cute, sparkly, pretty things that my sister had. And in fact, I even had to wear men's jeans. So now that I have adult money and places have extended sizing, I'm now able to purchase things that are pretty, fun, and sparkly. But instead of buying just one shirt or dress, I must buy as many as possible in one trip. The other thing I noticed is that I would hoard all of these beautiful things just to have them. I mean, I could only wear one thing at a time, yet I like to go into my closet and look at a collection of like 56 t-shirts hanging in my closet just to let the little girl in me know that it's okay. There are clothes for you now. And once I realized this, it became easier for me to to have a conversation with myself and say, will this make... Will this change anything in your life right now? And usually the answer was no. So just get one or two or whatever you can afford in the moment. So now when it came to buying stuff for the studio, I would also spend money on shit that I didn't need because I was doing it because I thought that would be the thing that would bring clients in. 
the fanciest couch, the coolest lighting equipment, the biggest wardrobe, the sparkliest gowns, etc. I was spending money on all this shit that nobody, like I barely would use it when clients would come in and it didn't make a difference. And in fact, some of my best work happens when I have the least amount of stuff. So once I recognized this trend, I was able to kind of pull back on the spending there and say, you know what, until you use the stuff that you already have for X amount of time, then no, you cannot buy new stuff. <laughs> so when it comes to food, now this was a big one that was kind of really aha and eye-opening for me. One of the first times I met my husband's parents, it was at a brunch and there were like 12 people. It was like a church brunch. And I, and I like literally had just met everyone and I don't even know 75% of people at that table. And I said I would pay the entire bill. And at the time I thought I was being so kind and altruistic, but looking back, I now know a hundred percent it was to win them over because I didn't think that they would like me just as me. Like I had to show them I was good enough to go out with their son. And I do this with friends. Whenever we go out, I fight them to pay the bill instead of each of us just paying our own. And again, I thought it was just being kind, but then I realized it was a way to hold power in the relationship and ultimately win them over. Ah, uh, hello, manipulation much? That's not kindness. Uh, when I realized that, I... Like, obviously, there are certain circumstances where it makes sense to pay birthdays or if you're taking somebody out or you invite them out. But if you're just meeting up together, you don't have to pay for everything. People are happy just to see you. Recognizing what I was purchasing gave me clues as to why I felt I had to buy it and when I had to buy it to fulfill the real what I was searching for. And the cool thing is some banks now will show you the areas of your life you are spending your money. And this might give you clues as to the what, the when, and that will help you find the why. Use your journal and investigate what you're really trying to fulfill when you buy stuff. All right. The last point here. Look at your damn bank account. This is a sign. Please do this. I remember my mom after I had been traveling and I had like my student loan still had to be paid off, and I had I was, li I was living in Korea, so I hadn't looked, I hadn't paid taxes, so I had to come pay taxes. I had racked up a credit card bill um, from travel expenses, and I wasn't looking at anything, and I was just going more and more in debt. Finally, my mom printed everything off without me knowing about it. She set it on the table, and she told me to come in the room and sit down. And she's like, you will sit at this table and you will look at these. And I broke the fuck down. I bawled and bawled and bawled. Because I did not want to face the reality of the mess that I had gotten myself into. And I thought that if I just ignore it, maybe it'll go away. But we all know that that's not how things fix themselves. So... That moment really re like stuck with me, and still to this day, there are times where I don't want to, but what I've started to do is actually look at my bank account more regularly, if not every day, definitely a few times a week to get used to just going in there and feeling squidgy if the number is below the current $5,000, or to be aware of what is going on so I know where I need to transfer money so I can go make sure people aren't stealing money from me so I can just to have my finger on the pulse of what is going on. So I think this is like one of the biggest, the biggest things I want you to do. And if you go back to the beginning when I talked about your GPS, 
Uh, if you're, if you say, if you say, hey, I want to go here, and you have your your destination figured out, you say, give me directions to get to here. Well, your GPS can't tell you how to get there if they don't know where where if it doesn't know where you're starting from. So you do need to acknowledge, okay, as uncomfortable as this is, this is where I'm starting. This is what my bank account looks like. But at least now I know, and I can work myself. Oh, um, out of this. So, yeah, you need to look at where you're starting from so you can take responsibility and break the blocks down. Money mindset is one of those things that's not going to be undone overnight or after this podcast, just like anything else. Everything takes time. I mean, these are all subconscious belief systems that you have. So give yourself compassion as you start to work towards breaking down these blocks for yourself. This is a topic I'm very certain I'm going to revisit again because I'm only going to hopefully get better at managing my money and have more strategies and tips and suggestions and things like that. But in the meantime, get started with these and just start paying attention. Um, and then that that will make a huge difference for you, I promise. And kind of, I found for me it was really easier to go into something like this, thinking of it almost like a science project. Um, and saying like, what happens if I do this? What happens if I do this? And go and kind of looking at the situation as an outsider as opposed to being so heavily involved in it. Um, so that might help you as well. So if you do find uh, that you're doing this and you're taking any of this advice, I would love to hear about it. Um, please feel free to tag me on Instagram at Terry Hofford. Um, or you can also follow me at our now Enlightened Mind, uh, I-N-L-I-G-H-T-A-N-D-M-I-N-D Instagram account where we have all sorts of good stuff like this um, to find out more. But thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode. Bye!